the Staff and Graph podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. Inlinks are salad. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team tidy business, baby. You know, Rachel, like, we, you know that I love Bo Horvat. You know that everyone knows that you love Bo Horvat. Um, you know, we, we as a podcast, we love Bo Horvat. It's a Bo um, Horvat podcast fan club, yes. But, but the thing I will say, though, is that if I have to watch the New York Islanders play another playoff series, I will commit a federal crime. <laughs> okay, so we're going to alert so, the RCMP. <laughs> I am so tired of this boring team. And they did, like, it looks like that, that the, the possibility of that happening is very low after yesterday. But, man, it is... Uh, uh, like that, just the New York Islanders, man, where where fun goes to die. Oh, man. Yeah. Like they've never been like ever since, I guess, like Lou and Barry Trotz came in, they were never going to be a like an enter- Running gun. Yeah. Like an entertaining team. I mean, Barry Trotz is one of the best offensive coaches in the league. Right. And so mm. you look at it and it's like, OK, like, what did we really expect um, but I want to see what, like, Bo Horvat's results on ice are, just to, like, see. I mean, because they're, like, obviously Carolina's being, like, supremely outplayed. All right, or sorry, they're supremely outplaying the, um, the New York Islanders. But, like, you look at it, okay, so Noah Dobson, wow, Noah Dobson, 65% expected goals for. He's playing great. Bo Horvat, 56%. So I saw this thing, I'm really glad you brought Horvat up. I saw this thing on Twitter. You you say that every, you could say that after every time I bring Bo Horvat up. This is this is true. So like I'm looking here at like the impacts, and it looks like the Islanders' top two lines are actually holding their own, um, including Pelic and Dobson in that as well. Same with Romanov, even though he hasn't played much. Um, but somebody pointed out on Twitter, oh Bo Horvat has zero playoff points. Like what a bust. Okay, but if you're controlling the run of play against the Carolina Hurricanes, you're like you're doing your job. Like it's so hard to control the run of play against the Hurricanes. So like Adam Pellick, Brock Nelson, Pierre Engvall, Kyle Palmieri, who people thought was like dead, um, yeah. Bo Horvat, <laughs> like they're doing their job. Yeah, they might not be scoring, but like they're also not getting caved, and that's important. Can I can I say something too? Is can we call someone a bust like over a decade after they get drafted? Like <laughs> that's a, like he's a bust. Like dude, he's beat. We know he's not. But yeah, no, I I brought up Bo Horvat because if I if I came out of the the gate, you know, guns blazing on the Islanders, people would assume that oh maybe maybe the Staff and Grab podcast is slandering Bo Horvat now. And I had to make a point that you know Bo Horvat himself love him, but this is this is a hockey team that plays. Just the worst right. <laughs> brand of hockey. Like, it can be successful. I mean, got them in the playoffs. Like, great. But holy smokes. Um, yeah, it's not... Uh, it's like the... What is it? The early 2000s Minnesota Wild? Like, Yeah, it's oh the dead puck era. The, the New Jersey Devils from the early 2000s, oh. where, like, they'd hold a team to, like, six shots on goal. Another you know, Lou Lamorello team. <laughs> yeah, another Lou... Like, it just seems to be there. Um, so, I think, Rachel, we should... Uh, we should talk a little bit about uh, the Oilers. I think we should start with the Oilers' big comeback. You know, we, we started with uh, we started with a somewhat negative topic off the bat. Let's get into a positive one. I want the Edmonton Oilers and the Los Angeles Kings to go seven to go seven games more than I want to continue to live. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this this series has had a bit of everything. I feel like it's had no shortage of controversy. It's had star players being star players. It's had big boy hockey. Um, it's had contributions from people that maybe you weren't necessarily expecting. It's had bad goaltending. It's had great goaltending. Like, it's had everything. You want to know the one thing it hasn't had, though, Rachel? What? A Connor McDavid even strength goal. Which is, like, wild. Which is nuts. Like, the fact that... And that's a great sign for the Oilers, that the fact that they are you know, dead, like they're knotted 2-2 series going back to Edmonton. So it's a best of three 
it's a best of three series at this point, and they have home ice advantage, so that's good for them. The fact that they've been able to do that with the best player possibly ever who is on their roster being completely shut out at even strength, it's not too not too shabby. I feel like end, from I a think. from a coaching perspective, there's like a couple different ways you can look at it. And like I think about it, like I think about how Bruce would look at it versus how like somebody like a John Hines would look at it. They'd look at it in different mm. ways, right? So like Bruce would see that and say and and take the positive like you did. Okay, like our guy is he's not scoring at even strength. Um and we're still 2-2 because last year there's no way you would have been able to say that. It was McDavid and Dreisaitl and like that was it. But they're getting those contributions to allow McDavid to not be like god. Or you could look at it the way like some old curmudgeon coaches would look at it and mm-hmm. and say we're tied in this series and we're getting contributions from everybody but the guy that we really need. Because, like, Leon Dreisaitl's been ridiculous. He's been so good. And so I think there's, like, almost two sides of the coin. And it's like, okay, if everybody continues this level of performance and McDavid ups his level, the Oilers become kind of scary. Like, If the Oilers are able to make it out of this round... Like, let's say Connor McDavid keeps playing like this for the rest of the, the series, which he's still playing well. He's just being being held at it even strength. It's a testament to the to the fact that the Kings have been able to shut him down to this point. Philip Deneau they, and Anze Kopitar, come on down. Yeah, just doing yeoman's work. Like, just doing an incredible amount of... of um, but also of, of, screw off because we want to see McDavid more in the playoffs. Yes, but, like, if they're able to get out of this in the second round, like, like and, and McDavid reignites his fire, like, it's over, man. Well, yeah, I look at this, I think... That's a great point. I look at this and say, if they get by LA, this kind of seems like the series where, you know how, remember when Columbus put that fear of God into Tampa Bay when they beat them, when they swept them? Oh, yeah. Right? And then that series against, like that Florida series, the Florida-Tampa series, where like, it was just chaos every game. And like, even though Tampa won that series, you felt like the series was really close. This feels like that series. So I'm going to assume, let's assume Vegas wins their series. That would set up an Edmonton Vegas um, second round. Vegas does not have the defensive. They don't. Like Bruce Cassidy has the defensive system, but like Jack Eichel is not shutting down anybody. Chandler Stevenson is not shutting down Connor McDavid. (laughs) Like they they don't have they don't have the uh, yeah they don't have the weapons like they don't have the they're a great offensive team I think and they have a lot that you know they have a lot of depth and that would you know, be like such somehow a track meet series <laughs> somehow they're winning playoff games with Laurent Brassois in net which is insane they have like four they have four capable NHL goalies on their roster and Brassois is the one in net and he's somehow like leading them the way but man McDavid gets gets on his like you know McDavid finds that feel again he becomes like you know whatever, like, the world destroyer, it's over. Like, it's it's Yeah, he, it's gone. he'll become um, Thanos, and then that'll be kind of the end. But I think from a coaching perspective, you can look at this and say, if we can get by our first-round series with McDavid sort of not at his best, absolutely RIP to the team we play when he is at his best. Because I think kudos to... Um, Zach Hyman, Evander Kane, uh, Leon Dreisaitl like yes. doesn't count because he was a beast for them last year, and he's, he's ex- not depth. <laughs> yeah, he's not depth. But Matthias Ekholm has been fantastic for them, right? I dare I say like Cody Cece's been pretty good. He was a little, a little rough last night, but yes, generally the fact speaking, that, like, he's, he's been pretty good. Like Cody Cece's job is to not just like make is to not end up on like you know, a highlight reel of just like a three stooges play that he's made. And I haven't seen any like, like LMAO, look at this Cody CC play or something like, you know, tweets at all, which is, I've seen uh, more, I've seen more LOL, Justin Hall tweets than I have LOL Cody CC tweets. And that should probably just tell you where we're at because I think Cody CC, like he's not a guy, like he's not going to be a Matthias Ekholm, but as a, as a coach, you look at that and like, Hey, if we if Cody Cece can just tie his minutes, mm-hmm. that's a win for us. Now, Rachel, put yourself, you know, let's do some role playing here. Put yourself in uh in the shoes of Jay Woodcroft. Get your power stance going. Okay. Um as he does, who are you putting in net for game five? Oh man. 
it's tough because Stuart Skinner, you know, he's the reason why they, he's one of the big reasons why they got to the playoffs. He took over for Jack Campbell when he just cratered as an NHL player this season. And yet Skinner was, was rough. He led in three goals on eight shots, uh, or I believe, no, three goals on 11 shots. Sorry. To start the the game gets pulled for Jack Campbell, the second period. And then Campbell makes 27 of 28 uh, saves um, to lead them to, to victory in overtime who you have in net. Um, I think I go back to Stuart Skinner and yeah. I think a lot of people, I know some broadcasters would disagree with that, but I think when you look at it, um, I had like, I had the opportunity to learn from Ian Clark, who is mm-hmm. like widely considered the best goalie coach on the planet. Um, him and Mitch Korn basically. And his shtick was one bad start is not enough to shirk the guy who brought you to the dance. Mm-hmm. So like imagine and like this is not even remotely the same, but like imagine if Thatcher Demko had one bad game and Rick Tockett was like, you know, we're gonna put um Archer Seelovs in net. That wouldn't surprise me with how that team is. <laughs> but you coached, know what I mean? Yes. But like or or Ilya Samsonov in Toronto, like he had one really bad start, he owned up to it. But he's been excellent for a really long period of time for the Leafs, and Sheldon Keefe gave him the opportunity, even though Joseph Wool has shown he's capable. I think if you're Edmonton, if I'm Jay Woodcroft, I'm going back to Skinner because he's the guy that has proven he can play in big games. And sure, Jack Campbell came in in relief, and that's great because now I know I have somebody that's dependable potentially, but I don't think you can just reverse course because that's just not... Then, then your players kind of think, oh, like, does he actually not trust Stuart Skinner? Should I not trust Stuart Skinner? I think you can, you're almost mind, playing mind games with your own team. Yeah. You, you, I think, yeah, it, it's all about consistency in the playoffs. And yes, it is a, uh, uh, geez Louise, the sirens always come out when I start recording a podcast. Oh my goodness. If everybody anyway. near Mike's house could just like not for 45 minutes, please. It's funny because it always happens when we start recording. Like it's, it's generally pretty quiet, but then the second I, I hit record on QuickTime, a friggin' like, I guess a crime, like people are waiting to, to commit burglary or murder or whatever. <laughs> they and then see they... Mike hit QuickTime and it's like, okay, time to go rob a convenience store. All right, time to go. Yeah, exactly. Time to go commit tax fraud. You know, like, <laughs> so, it's just, it's ridiculous. Um, But yeah, like Stuart Skinner, Jack Campbell had the potential to sink the season for the Oilers, which would have been a disaster considering you have arguably the two best players in the game in the middle of their primes comparatively given you know what they're going to make on their next contract signed to value contracts um and you know he had the potential to sink that all Stuart Skinner stepped in with basically no track record and uh like he might stole get nominated show. for rookie of the year it should to he me it should probably be should like I've got it down to four okay Beneers yeah obviously he's gonna win so yeah Skinner yeah Michelli Yes, Michelli's and, deserves to get be in there. And yeah. the guy who it did not get enough to attention down the stretch was Owen Power. Yeah, Owen Power. You're is... talking about a guy playing 20 minutes a night as a 19 year old on a team battling for, like a for playoff the playoffs team. and winning yeah. his minutes as a defense. Yeah. Like I get it, Matty Beniers, Matthias Michelli, objectively being a defenseman, a young defenseman in this league, like we saw with it's Aaron Ekblad, is the hardest thing to do. Like, yeah. sorry. Other than a goalie, maybe. Right, but Stuart Skinner is not 19. No. Like, it's, yeah, it's remarkable. It's, like, when Steve Mason won the Calder, Steve Mason was literally barely, he wasn't even able to drink in the U.S., right? And yeah. so for me, like, what Owen Power is doing, first of all, like, I get it, Matias Michelli, but, like, you're also playing for Arizona. Like, that, those games meant nothing. You're not playing in high-leverage situations. Seattle, high-leverage situations. Uh, Buffalo, high-leverage situations. Edmonton, high leverage situations. To me, those players get the nod because what they did in the situations they were in were more impressive. And so on the goaltending question, like I think you have to go back to Stuart Skinner. Absolutely. Um, all right. Now let's we, we gotta talk about the comeback essentially. They were down three nothing, they go into the period. It's more than just Jack Campbell going in net. Like it what I, I would kill to have been a fly on the wall in that in that dressing room to see what helped turn that around. Yeah, I think you could you could go one of two ways. Um, 
there's usually like two courses of action and it depends on the coaching style that you have. Um, you could go in and peel the paint off the walls if you're the coach. So if you're Jay Woodcroft, mm-hmm. you could go in and peel the paint off the walls. That doesn't necessarily strike me as Jay Woodcroft. Yeah, I was gonna say he doesn't seem like that kind of Jay Woodcroft. That kind of coach. Yeah, doesn't doesn't seem like the torts kind of guy. But then we've mm-hmm. also seen like Bruce Boudreaux's not that guy either. But we saw in twenty four seven like he can do it when it's necessary. Um, so I wonder if maybe that's a bullet in the chamber that Jay Woodcroft went with um, in game three. But then the other option is you don't go in at all as a coaching staff and you allow your leadership group of Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, um, Ryan Nugent Hopkins to kind of take over and say what needs to be said in that dressing room. Either way, whether it was the coach peeling the paint off the walls or the leadership group, somebody was peeling the paint off the walls. Yeah, yeah, I, I would expect, like, we've all seen glimpses of, like, the Connor McDavid powder keg, if you will. <laughs> the you know, Eerie like, Otters that... one? <laughs> yeah, there's the video of him just screaming the F word. He, 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 like, just gets over the threshold of, like, his dressing room, but you can still see him through the doors, and he just screams the F word, like, with a bunch of kids watching, and we've seen, like, the very limited, I, I bet, you know, door closes, and he's just like, hey, guys, like wake up basically and like this Leon is um here's the, I can a little bit relate in terms of like him and I are both very German and yes. the one thing like I've been around my fair share of German athletes growing up the one thing you should know about a German athlete is when they're angry there is a fire that sort of bubbles beneath and when it comes up it comes up. Yeah. Like, in the... Bayern Munich was playing a couple days ago, and Joshua Kimmich, who is wearing the armband while Manuel Neuer's out, he's kind of seen as, like, the emotional leader, but he's always, like, very stoic. He, like, imploded on the field, mm-hmm. and, like, you could just see, like, the, the Germanness seeping out of him. I, I could see that with Leandro Isaitl. Like, I think him and McDavid have that powder keg about them and they just kind of say like they're going to call everybody out but then they're also going to go out and be the best players yeah i i think absolutely um all right let's talk about let's talk a little bit about conversations because you know what what led i guess to this to the game being in this situation is you know there was the the whole did the puck touch gabe velarde stick uh in the game prior uh which which then set up the la kings you know winning goal in ot it's been a crazy tight series, and and you know every little bit helps. Every in- it's a game of inches, and and it, you know there's been a million different angles. We don't even know. Blah blah blah. What is a conversation like between a team and the league regarding officials? Because I have a feeling after these playoffs, which have been objectively horribly officiated, um, there have been a couple. Yeah. So um, it's it's. It's kind of interesting, actually. They operate differently in the playoffs than in the regular season. So there's you have your officials, your on-ice officials. But then you also have officiating supervisors. And then you have the league. So Stephen Walkham and Colin Campbell and the Department mm-hmm. of Player Safety. So people who are objectively bad at their jobs. Yes, continue. <laughs> Please continue. Um, mm-hmm. So essentially, during the playoffs, each series, or like depending on... I don't know what the staffing is like now, but each series or like every two series will have one officiating supervisor and that Mm -hmm. officiating supervisor is expected to be at every game and talking to the officials because you can't know the temperature of the series if you're just like watching the video, like you're not involved intrinsically. So you can't have one officiating supervisor for four series. That's like just not feasible. Yeah. Right. And the officiating supervisors are considered like to be the best former officials in the game. So like Don Van Massenhoven was widely considered to be a really good official. And you ask a lot of people back in like the olden days and even like to when we were growing up, the amount of respect that yeah, a, I remember his name. Yeah, a lot of people held for this guy was like, it was there. And he's an officiating supervisor. So usually what will happen is, let's say the Gabe Velarde incident happens, or let's say the uh, Michael Bunting situation happens. The GMs, coaches, usually management, 
will speak to the officiating supervisor. They're not going down and barging into the ref's locker room. Like, nobody does that. So they'll go to the officiating supervisor, who's usually at the game, um, or they'll call him. And I say him because there are no women. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. They'll call him. You objectively can't be one if you haven't been an official in the National Hockey League. So that's that. Um, mm. And and kind of like it's the officiator, officiating supervisor's job to like let the GM sort of vent. Then there would be a member of the video department, which was me in a lot of cases in New Jersey, where mm. I would actually cut the clip that Ray would send into the league. And so he would say, like, I've had a conversation with supervisor. Here's the accompanying clip that I was discussing or clips. Like, why was this called? Why wasn't this called? Or it got out of hand here and not here. Like, there's a bunch of clips. Like, I remember one game three when Nikita Kucherov elbowed Sammy Votnin in the head. I had to cut together like seven angles of this thing. And, Mm -hmm. And it was like wild. But... They'll email the league, they'll stipulate out what rules they think were broken, why it's validated of a suspension. Um, and then, like, depending on the conversation that happens, sometimes if the temperature gets ratcheted up too much, the league will actually bring both coaches into the same room at the same time with the officiating supervisor and basically lay down the law and say, this is what is and isn't acceptable. Here's video we are going to have our officials directed to put up with X, Y, Z, but not A, B, C. And so Mm -hmm. then we're laying it out. And then the refs and the coaches are going to be expected to understand this. That will be communicated by the league to the executives. So like the GMs. Um, But usually if it's like a suspendable play, so like the Michael Bunting play, it just goes right into the league. Like the officiating supervisor is there for like, I didn't like this ticky tack penalty or I didn't like the Matthew Barzell embellishment call with the Brent Burns cross check. That's what the officiating supervisor is there for. They're a customer service representative. Whereas like Michael Bunting, like committed a crime in the store. So they just call the police. Correct. And and then the Velarde thing does not go to the supervisor. That goes to the league because that's a goal, no goal call. And that decision gets made in the situation room. The officiating supervisor has nothing to do with goal, no goal calls. And so that just goes right into the league. There's usually a lot of yelling and screaming and words that would not be um, safe for work, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um And so then that conversation gets had. Usually somebody from the situation room walks the GMs through why that doesn't doesn't count. And sometimes, which is always my favorite, there is an apology of that is directed to the team that they believe was wronged. But then it's followed with, but we can't do anything about it, (laughs) which is always great. Right. You love it. Yeah. Um, So that's usually how it goes is like. The officiating supervisor can do something, but if it's like a goal, no goal call, it goes into the league and usually nothing gets done other than like, oops, sorry, we got it wrong. And as one coach said to me, that's great that you got it wrong, but it cost me the game. (sighs) (laughs) So it's just it's not a great system. Um, And I liked Rod Brindamore's suggestion a couple of weeks ago on the 32 Thoughts podcast of like, you keep the linesman on the ice, obviously, but put the officials... Like, take them off the ice. Yeah. Take them off the ice. I just think I just think there needs to be, like, an objective... Like, sort like an objective sense or an objective presence uh, in this. Because you have, like, former referees being there as, like, an officiating supervisor to, like... Uh, and they're supposed and and keep in mind we know that the referee like the the NHL referee fraternity is you know it's one of the most protective like every time you see it from like uh, man you know, we have it, Dave Jackson and Tim Peel yelling exactly. at people on Twitter although I will say I think Dave the way Dave Jackson goes about it is much better than the way Tim Peel goes about it. Well, I, what I was gonna say is there needs to be an objection like an objective presence here. I think yeah. there needs to be someone who wasn't a former ref in charge of this um, because like. All they're going to do is, is literally all they're going to do is just completely uh, uh, protect their guys. Well, uh, so somebody talked about this a long time ago, and I think um, the more I think about it, the more it has merit. 
And that is the Department of Player Safety doesn't need to be run by guys who were goons. The Department of Player Safety needs to be run by guys that were good. And the two guys that always come up because of how their career careers were affected were Paul Correa and Mark Savard. Mark Savard is currently the head coach of the Windsor Spitfires. Yeah, so he's not. But I can assure you that working at league office pays a whole lot more and comes with a pension. But my grander, like the point is it shouldn't be Chris Pronger and George Peros and Colton Orr. Colton Orr will be the first person to tell you that he should be nowhere near the Department of Player Safety if you ask him. It should be guys that were skill guys. Like, on it, he would never do it, but Ray Ferraro would be fantastic mm. because Ray Ferraro likes the tough parts of the game, but also understands that you can't elbow somebody in the head. Yeah. Right? And so I think it needs to be something like you got to be at minimum a second line player to qualify for this. And then from an officiating standpoint, this was something I learned in New Jersey. And it's something that carried over. The old school coaches prefer the let them play Scotty Upshaw style that he tweeted about hockey. Mm -hmm. Most GMs want this called properly. Most players want this called properly. And no offense to the fourth line players in the National Hockey League, but we needn't be taking their opinion and weighing it as heavily as we do Connor McDavid's, Nathan McKinnon, Sidney Crosby's opinions. Because the reality is, and God bless him, but like, Noel Achari is not doing a hell of a lot to grow the game compared to the other three players that I just mentioned. Like, yeah. we need to value those players' opinions. So when Marty Walsh meets with the players to discuss these types of things, because the PA takes it to the NHL, he needn't be meeting with guys that have zero impact on the game from a growth entertainment perspective he needs to meet and i don't think it's i don't think he should meet with guys like hughes and zegris either they're too young they haven't been around long enough mm -hmm. basically if you're like if you've played five years in the league you and you're a star like you count so like mcdavid uh mckinnon i think cal mccarr is approaching that um, Crosby, Ovechkin, Matthews, Marner, uh, like the Patrice Bergeron is uh, somebody who probably belongs in the Department of Player Safety after he retires. Um, mm -hmm. Having those people, I think, will have a greater impact on not only growing the game, but making it a better product instead of the fighters. I also think it should just be like, even if we can't get that lofty pie in the sky goal, even though, you know, society would be a better place if we did, it should just be literally anyone but but George Peros. Like, literally anyone but the guy who profited off the the <laughs> off off the slogan violent gentleman. Like he like he had a he had a it, it's insane. It's like, you know, it's like like I said, it's like profiting off a guy who like who had the thing, I love burning down houses and putting him in charge of the fire department. I just thought of somebody and I can't believe it took this long to come to me. Hoomst. If he doesn't get the job in Philadelphia, Eric Lindros Rear? needs to be the oh. head of Department of Player Safety. Because not only was he one of the best players of his time, uh, injuries and headshots and concussions, he understands the dangers of it. You're mm -hmm. who He's in the Hall of Fame. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> I've spent a lot of time with Eric Lindros playing hockey with him, you know, at the, at the Lindros Celebrity Classic. Does he think classic. you should he's be able to cross-check people in the head? Um, no, he doesn't. Okay. He also, he also has a, he's got a good head on his shoulders, man. He's smart. He still pays a lot of attention to the game. Like he's not one of these guys that just, you know, dips in and out, whatever. He pays a okay. lot of attention. Eric so Lindros for Department of Player Safety Head. That's our... Speaking, speaking of cross checks to the face <laughs> and, and other roughness, um, Boston and Florida, man, for a, for a, a series that is, you know, basically just so, um, that is so far out of reach, uh, for one side, this is becoming an, this not becoming, this has become a remarkably spicy series. Namely, when that when current Vezina frontrunner Linus Allmark was kicked out of the game um, <laughs> then for fighting Matthew Duchuk, for fighting another player, or trying to fight at least. The linesman never let goalies fight, which is another th reason Boo. why... <laughs> um, it, it, like, it just, the fact that you're not letting goalies fight is insane. Anyway, um, but he got kicked out. 
there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of rough and tumble stuff there, and yet, man, Matthew like Kachuk got a penalty or a fine for cross checking a guy Hathaway while he was down. But then the league in that same video three seconds later missed Sam Bennett spearing Hathaway in the nuts. Yeah, or like Tyler Bertuzzi grabbing a stick and skating to the bench and then breaking it. Or like anyone, <laughs> yeah. it's just. You know, like, st- like I, like I tweeted, like if 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 Matthew if Matthew if Michael Bunting did that, a ref would have pulled out a gun and shot him. <laughs> like the the crap housery, and you know exactly what word I'm thinking yeah. about in this series is an all time high. Like you goalies trying to fight Matthew Kachuk being Matthew Kachuk, uh, mm. Tyler Bertuzzi being Tyler Bertuzzi. We haven't even seen. Think about this for a second. We haven't even seen any antics from Brad Marchand yet. We haven't even reached that point. Which is like kind of scary to think about for if you think about that for a second. Yeah. Like yeah. we haven't even got there yet. But I think on Tyler Bertuzzi, um He's playing great. He's been him both him and Orlov have been exactly what the Bruins envisioned when they traded for them. Oh yeah. Like exactly that. And Bertuzzi's now in a bit of an elevated role and thriving. Like I bet on him mm-hmm. to get two shots a game, like it's a di- like Adam Fox assists at this point because he's playing like he's getting second power play unit time. He's drawing, I think he's drawn like four penalties in this series, right? Mm-hmm. And without Bergeron and Krejci, which I mean, you and I talked about this. Like if they lost Bergeron and Krejci for any length of time in like the second round, this was going to be a problem. Yeah. But Pavel Zaka is leading the team in expected goals for with a seventy three percent share. Yeah, Pavel Zaka has. Take it like he he took his career from being pronounced dead to you know thriving like he the he's 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 been phenomenal he won he won the Bruins I think it's like their what they call like their seventh man or whatever yeah. like the the guy off the bench and he deserved it. he deserved the contract extension he got he's been great there there he's really found his game there well it just goes to show like everyone who goes everyone who goes to the Bruins they. Like it's almost like a Patriots type thing, except without the you know cavalcade of Super Bowls and Stanley Cups. Is that like <laughs> they, you know, they 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 insert they find guys, they insert them into the lineup, and they they tell them to do you know like one specific thing that they're very good at. Like they maximize their strengths. And Jim Montgomery is is has taken you know that mold and just made it a bit more of a fun place to play, place to play. And look at look at what's happened, man. Like it, it's the Bruins are, and I watch a lot of behind the scenes content too. Like I try and mm-hmm. I've been I've been looking at uh, like I've mentioned this before, but like I watch all the highlights next the next day because I can't watch every game. But I also watch all of the like the team produced behind the scenes content. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of series. You know, the Wild have a good one. Even the Blue Jackets have a good one. Obviously, the Leafs have the Blueprint. Uh, you know, stuff like that. The Pittsburgh Penguins the, one has. Um, Pittsburgh Penguins have a really good one. Yeah, inside the room, and the Bruins have have one that they that yeah. they they put out like way more regularly than any other. Um, and it's awesome. Behind the bees is called narrated by Dennis Leary too, uh, who is a a Boston native a- actor, and you can definitely tell by his accent. Um, and it just like that provides a glimpse into just like into the the quote unquote Bruins culture that they talk about, and it's real, man. Like I, I it is not a shock given how that team operates behind the scenes um, that you take a, like that players succeed when they enter that organization. And like you said, Tyler Bertuzzi is a big example of that. Pavel Zaka, big example of that. Dimitri Orloff, he's only going to be there for like three, four Derek months, but he is was like in the AHL at one point. Yeah, Derek Forbert, like guys like this, man, it worked like it, it works. It always works. And like, even guys who like, I, I wrote, I wrote a column earlier in the playoffs about like, you know, I just picked one player from each team to cheer for in the playoffs. I tried to, you know, maybe get it away from the whole, like, mm-hmm. Oh, old guy who want, who needs a cup or something like that. But like Nick Felino is a guy I chose for, for the Bruins because dude, this guy was waived by the Bruins play and was passed over and still, you know, like he went back to the team and he ended up putting being just like a f- totally fine depth guy who's actually, you know, like contributing in the series. The the, Oilers, uh, the the Bruins just find a way to pull this out. And then you look at Taylor Hall, like he's there. He's yeah. leading the team in scoring. Um, He's got he had four points in game four. Um, I was told that Taylor Hall was not a playoff player. Um. He sure is now. Yeah, yeah, but... Look what happens when you join the Bruins, man. Look what man. happens when you join the Bruins. Like, 
he has been, since coming back from injury, he's been fantastic. And the Bruins have needed him because David Posternock's been really quiet. And he's got a low expected goals, low scoring chances, just been like invisible five on five. Taylor Hall, Jake DeBrus, come on down, like playing incredible. Charlie Coyle as well. You look at this, but then I think the biggest difference. And like, if you would have told me two years ago when Boston acquired Hampus Lindholm, that he was going to go from being Hampus Lindholm to like a, a legitimate Norris candidate, I'd have been like, mm-hmm. mm, probably not. Calm down. I would not. Have, no one saw that coming. No. But you put him in Boston system. Charlie McAvoy exists. And the two of them on the ice completely control the run of play. Like Florida does not even sniff anything when they're on the ice. They just don't. And Matt Grizzlick's been good, too. Like, yeah, it, it's just, you could you could just go down the list. Everyone's been good, man. It's Boston, right? Like it's it's, it's Boston. They're going to be. And, and what's alarming is similar to Edmonton is like Boston's doing this without without Pasternak, without, without Bergeron yeah. and Krejci at all. Right. But Pasternak's been super quiet. Like, I don't even want to imagine what Boston's going to be like if Bergeron comes back and like they just if Jim Montgomery just says you know what the perfection line again like that's gonna yeah, be just why not terrifying man? yeah it's uh yeah it's remarkable like the Bruins are able the Bruins are able to do this and like we all they can't look, keep they had getting that, away with this yeah they can't they had they had a shaky game too obviously like it, you know but every I think every team kind of kind of does that but the like in typical Bruins fashion they rebounded by just absolutely stomping on the opponent Two times in a row, and, and they will likely, you know, win this game in, or win this series in five. Um, and boom goes the dynamite. There you go. Boom goes the dynamite. Um, all right, let's talk about some media mind games here. Now, the funny thing is, I wrote a very extensive column about John Cooper and his mind games um, before Sheldon Keefe accused him, accused uh, the Lightning of manipulating the officials. Um, and uh, so it's it's one of those. One of those areas where I was right before something happened. It never happens, but thankfully, you know. Mike was I, right, my column. Got got some luck there, but it is true. Now, here's the thing about John Cooper, and, and, and you've you've experienced with him. I've experienced, I've covered him. I've covered three series now that John Cooper is being a part of. You know, Leafs first round last year, the Stanley Cup final last year, and then this, this series that he's in right here. John Cooper has a script that he sticks to. Um, you know, he's he, he projects himself as being super laid back. You know, he's just chill. He takes long, wistful pauses. Which is just absolutely not true. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But he projects himself like that. And another thing he does is if his team wins, it's a testament to the other team. Or yeah, it's a testament to the other team. You know, they're so close. They almost beat us. You know, it's they, you know, like it's it's uh, like good for them, man. Like at the start of this series. Well, he told Sheldon Keefe in the handshake line, which likely led to Keefe making that embarrassing quote of we got some respect from them, is that. Cooper Cooper told Keith like you don't change anything you guys like you guys are so close you're this close you know that's so patronizing and if they lose it's oh we handed the game to them we are in control and we through our mistake we handed the game to them they didn't beat us we beat ourselves and you know once we get this sorted out we'll we'll be back in the driver's seat like it and what we've seen now what we've seen and and it what we see now is some some cracks the cracks are starting to show John Cooper is starting to lose. He's going off script. He went off script with a totally innocuous question about about uh, um, how the the Lightning have to like contend now with the Leafs having you know Matthews Tavares and Ryan O'Reilly down the middle. He like it wasn't a the question wasn't you know comparing the two. It was how do you guys contend with that? And he goes, how many centers deep do you think we are? You know, I'll take I'll take points Sorelli and and Paul all day. And he interrupted Luke Fox who asked the question. Um, um, which is like objectively like I get what he's doing there and that's like an extreme lawyer thing but like if you injected John Cooper with truth serum he isn't taking Austin Matthews or he isn't taking Braden Point over Austin Matthews he might take Anthony Sorelli over Ryan O'Reilly but he's certainly not taking John Tavares or uh, Nick Paul over John Tavares like objectively if John Cooper it is highly likely that John Cooper is going to be the coach of Canada at the next Olympics. It's highly yeah, likely. It, it would be a mistake if it was if anything he else, I think. Yeah. And if you told him you could take to the Olympics, because they're all Canadian, Point mm-hmm. Sorelli and Paul, or, Over, you, yeah. or you could take 
insert McDavid instead, uh, Tavares and O'Reilly, like he wouldn't even blink. Yeah. And here's <laughs> another thing too. So Sheldon Keith then comes out in game three and, and talks about how the, you know, how, how the, uh, the lightning are good at manipulating officials. <clears throat> Cause basically during that big scrum in game, th- in, in game three, um, the lightning were able to take, they were able, they, they earned themselves, you know, a penalty. So the Leafs had a power play, but they were able to take three fifths of the Leafs top unit and put them in the box. Well, and it at was the end what, of that. what really bothered me about that. And like Nikita Kucherov, obviously doing dirty stuff. Who's shocked by that? Cross checking downwards is super dangerous. And Matthew yeah. Kachuk just got fined for it. So I'm not really sure why Nikita Kucherov didn't. Steven Stamkos having a full out discussion with the referee whilst bare knuckle punching Austin Matthews, yeah. who was cleaning up hockey sticks in the face, yeah. breaks every code imaginable. Um, and and Sheldon Keith nailed it. It was they know similar. We talk about this with Boston all the time. They know how to play the refs. Yeah, and so and and but here's where Keith is actually taking a page out of Cooper's book because when he did this, like so when he put that, uh, uh you know when when he when he said that he framed it as praise for the Lightning, which is exactly what Cooper does. If he wants to complain about something, he frames it as praise. So there's like a positivity spin to it. So it's getting in your head. And Keith did that. Like he wasn't just like, oh, this, this crap team, all they do is manipulate. He went, it's a testament to them. Like they're able to do this. Like that's why they'd be there so, so long. You know, they're able to manipulate the refs and do it like good for them. You know, it's, that's exactly what he's doing. Cooper, you're seeing the cracks because then Cooper, you know, like is, is, you know, is dumbfounded and goes manipulating the refs. Like, I don't think that's true. Whereas normally he'd be, he, you know, he'd find some way to spin it back on Keith whereas he just did a flat out denial um, it's interesting to see, like it's cause he just has, Cooper has had this ability to just be like you, like you have in the, in the prep, you're like, just shrug emoji, you know, all the time and is, and, you know, f- either feigns ignorance or, you know, like or, or disguises criticism as praise. So he can skirt around a fi- like, dude, last year, I, be- uh, um, in Stanley cup final, it's after Nazem Kadri scored, um, scored the OT winner, I believe in game four. I want to three. say, yeah, I think it was three or four, three or four. It was four game four because they ended up taking a three, one lead. Then Tampa went back to, Oh, you're to right. Denver. You're right. Yeah. I thought it was. Three. So, he, so he comes out and this is where, and this is where Steve and Alice and I um, were sitting in, in the, in the room. Everyone's kind of talking about, Oh, what a great, uh, great thing. And we look at the, the game sheet, the official NHL game sheet where it says which players were on the ice when the goal goes in and there's six avalanche players listed <laughs> on the ice in overtime. And they go like, hey, that's it. And, and so Cooper comes out. He, he, he walks out for in front of the podium, packed media room. Like, literally, you cannot move. He sits at, he, he sits at, you know, at his podium. And before he even gets asked, like, he gets asked a question about, like, about something about the game. Like, literally just like the, uh, you know, just to get him yeah. going. Like, just, you know, thoughts on the game or whatever. He literally pauses. And I look back at the video. He pauses for, like, 38 seconds just staring out into, into the distance and then goes on this two minute long, like, like monologue, like literally like this, about it, how like he's doing a closing argument at a murder trial. Yeah. It, or like, dude, he, it's like, he's performing like Shakespeare or something. Like it's ridiculous. And he go and he, he's just, he talks about how hard his team has worked, you know, and how, how much respect and love he has for the game and how much respect and love he has for the refs. And he doesn't directly call out the refs. Yep. But he, but he's basically the crux of that was we got screwed and it's heartbreaking. And he looked like he was going to cry, honestly. And it's heartbreaking to us. He didn't get a single fine from that. He basically sat at a podium. Oh, and, and after he did that, he, he was like, I can't take any more questions. And he left. Yeah. That's so it. the thing about that is. That's how he gets away with this. So John Cooper is, and I feel really comfortable saying this, is the most highly educated coach the NHL has ever seen. Yeah, he's a lawyer. He is not even just a lawyer, a criminal defense lawyer, which is objectively, as somebody who researched, like, law school, applied, got in, all of that fun stuff, objectively, the hardest type of lawyer to be. Like, it just is. And and so, when you are a criminal defense lawyer, a lot of times you're defending people who, like, they're guilty and you know it, but you still have to defend them because they want to plead not guilty. So you become really, really good. And I know this because, so my aunt is a criminal defense lawyer and I have seen 
her work, her magic. Um, Mike knows who I'm talking about. We're not naming yep. names. Um, you have this learned ability to play to your audience and to spin things. And in Cooper's case, so you don't get fined, but you still get your point across and everybody knows what you're saying, but the league can't say, well, you did this because that's not what he said. And so I think Sheldon Keefe has kind of taken a page out of that book. Um, but John Cooper is the best at it and he should be. He's a criminal defense lawyer. He's a member of the bar. Like that's just how he operates. But when coaches do this and when John Cooper specifically does this, there are two factions of people that this is aimed at. It's aimed at his players. Like he wants his players to hear the message and he wants the league to hear the message. He wants the league to know his point and get, he gets it across but he also wants them to know that he is too smart to take a fine. And mm. I thought Sheldon Keefe, like you pointed out, did the exact same thing and did a really good job of it. We've just been accustomed to hearing Cooper do this. And the reason why we're all like paying attention to it is because, frankly, nobody else in the league is remotely capable of doing that because they're not educated enough. Like, you're just... Being a lawyer makes you a better communicator because you're debating, you're arguing, you have opening statements, closing statements. And I feel like every press conference is a closing statement for John Cooper. And that's how he approaches yeah. it. That is his headspace when he walks in there is he is giving a closing statement. And the thing is, is at this point, we're starting to see, you know, a prosecutor who's uh, who's like the pressure's getting to him. Like they're like, this is the most. I would say other than uh, like like other other than you know the the whole Shakespearean monologue that he did you know in the in the cup final like this his quotes from this series are are the most uh, like non Cooper esque uh, quotes I've seen from him in the playoffs. I, I feel like we've become accustomed to a style of John Cooper quote, but when I watch his quotes, all I or watch his press conferences, all I see is criminal defense lawyer. I just see yeah. different sides. Like so, my aunt has her like Cooper side right which is the side we're all used to seeing but then when things start to kind of go a different way there's a different side of criminal defense lawyer and it's a little bit more combative it's a little bit more argumentative um and terse I would say and I think that's the side we're seeing of John Cooper but if you notice the difference between Cooper and let's say somebody like Torts is there has never been a moment in this series where you felt like, even though Cooper was angry, that he lost control. Mm -hmm. He's always in control, and that's so key for being a lawyer. Yeah, and I I think with that, with his re his reaction to the manipulated the officials thing from Keith, the fact that he didn't spin that, he just like flat out was like, "What?" Like I think that that's a bit of I think we're starting to see some control get get relinquished there. Right, but I don't ever I don't ever expect him to go on on a tirade like No, 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 I mean like no, I mean like the fact that he cuz in in a different like John Cooper scenario, he would have found a way to spin it back. Yes. Not not in like an argumentative way, but just sort of like a you know, and that's a great that's that's a it's what's great about being a coach is like that's you're able to share your opinion and you see different things and we all value that, you know, and and you know like they do a lot of great they're able to to do a lot of great things. We talk about that, you know, in our we talk about how great they are doing certain things, but I don't think we would probably net say that publicly but you know i think that they do like something like that whereas he's like what no we don't john like, that kind cooper of I, is also mike stevens <laughs> like mike i think stevens that, that is john cooper well i can see him doing that oh, so that's yeah. exactly like but but the fact that he was just like what no we don't <laughs> shut up like that kind of thing i think that's interesting anyway um rachel we were gonna we were gonna talk about some some things that are coming up with our podcast i think we should hint at them i don't think we should announce them. i think we should tease them so they make so we were able to to drop drop new stuff like Beyonce did with lemonade, okay. if you will. Yes, that's fair enough. Do you want to so, take this? So yeah, so what I'll here's what I'll do. I'll say that during you know like I would say during the last little bit, not not okay. I think we've gotten back to what really made the podcast work lately. 
but maybe during the regular season and a bit during the playoffs last year, we sort of skewed away from normal staff and graphics. Rachel and I, you know, she got hired by an NHL team. We were in the wilderness for a little bit there. You know, it was it was busy stuff. There was a lot now of like world- yelling and screaming at different points yeah. too about like various like non hockey related things. And like, don't get us wrong, Mike and I are still gonna fight for human rights, and we're still gonna. But be it angry was a tough that. time for the world, you know, <laughs> and like it exactly. And so, um, let's just say we're getting back to the roots of the podcast, and we have some we're 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 dipping our toes into different areas. And uh, we have some things that are going to, you know, come out and launch and announce and, and stuff in the coming coming days. And I think you'll be all very excited about that. Um, yeah, there's going to be you know, more audience sort of involvement participation. and participation. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is, <laughs> now that I can say this, yeah, um, I am allowed to discuss behind the scenes stuff now. Um, so kind of like we did on today's podcast, I'm going to be able to give general insights into how things work and um maybe peel back the curtain a little bit and we're gonna add an analytics component of that so maybe Mm -hmm. looking at like how different coaches would use analytics or different things like that but i am allowed to talk about things behind the scenes now and we're really going to lean into that yeah i think that's that's a great way to tease it um yeah so rachel we've reached the the end of the podcast here um, so everyone has some stuff to look forward to. We will be back who, um, later this week. Who knows? By the time we get back, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs could be in the second round, or we could be it could be history repeating itself all over again. Who knows? But this is crazy stuff. Um, so yeah, enjoy it. Uh, you know, go to the thn.com/podcast for or uh, you know pretty much any other pod podcatcher for our podcast archives. It's great. Enjoy the playoff hockey, Rachel. You have anything to leave our lovely listeners with before we we head out? Not a whole lot, actually. Just super excited about what's to come for the podcast. And I hope you guys are too. Great. All right. We will see you later this week.